0: We're actually going to go to the island of Crete. That's where we're, we're headed. And so we're going to look through the book of Titus. And we're going to be there for a couple of weeks. I'm excited. to start a series and to, to camp out in the book of Titus. And we're going to look over the next couple of weeks of what Paul, who wrote this letter to Titus, um, was trying to convey to specifically this area. One of the things that is interesting is the Isle of Crete uh, was just one of the many stops that Paul stopped along his way on his missionary journeys. And Titus actually was one of those. Titus could have even said, hey, Paul, I don't want to go to Crete. right? Crete was not a great place to go to. Crete today would be a great place to go to. Guess what? It's in the Mediterranean Sea now. It's a resort area. It's highly sought after. Um, it's, like one, it's on the cruise ship lines. It would not be a bad place to go to. But back then... It's not a place that you'd want to go to. It was a harbor town. Ships would pass through there and grab supplies. They would dump people off. It was a rough place. And we'll see a little bit more about that as we we work through that each week. But it was not an ideal place to do ministry in some ways. But Paul knows, and probably what you know as well, ministry sometimes is in an area where it is messy. It's not easy. And people can be tough. And so Paul wants Titus to go to the Isle of Crete, really to be the overseer of all the churches that are there. Again, the mindset is it's not just one church. We see these letters, but there are multiple churches in this area. And so Titus is going to oversee all. And a lot of them were small groups, homes. There'd be two or three families gathered together, and they would worship on a Sabbath. And so they were spread out. And and there was an area of churches that Paul is entrusting Titus to. Like I said, Titus traveled with Paul. Titus was very dear to Paul. Um, Titus was a man that was probably in the middle age. He wasn't a young, young man like Timothy. In fact, if you're reading Titus, you'll see a lot of familiarity between Titus and Timothy. That's because they're called the pastoral epistles. And Paul is getting near the end of his life. and, And Paul is entrusting now the churches to these men. Timothy's entrusted to the churches in Ephesus. Titus is going to be entrusted to the church in Crete. So that's just a little bit of the background and the basis for this letter. And so you'll see the intimacy between Paul and Titus because they're talking as two kind of colleagues, although Paul's a little bit older. Paul knows he's probably not going to get back to Crete. You know, He's in prison in Rome. He's probably going to die there. He knows that at this point. So he's passing on the mantle now to Titus. So that's the background, and as we... Dive in here to chapter one, verse one, we'll see Paul's greeting here. And it says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God, elect, and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. A faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God does not lie. He promised before the beginning of time, and that is appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my true son, in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. That greeting is rich in theology in many ways, and again, it would we could do well to study some of that, but again, that common faith that Paul is sharing, that faith that not only Paul has, but he recognizes that faith in Titus as well, and he, And he passes it on, that knowledge of truth that leads to goodness. Putting it into practice. And then the resting on the hope of eternal life. I love that. We're coming up on Easter, right? The resurrection, the hope. That's where that hope is. That's The the hope of the resurrection is that hope of eternal life. Yeah, it's rich in that. And again, that brings an amount of excitement, but it also helps us put things in perspective. I have trouble with that big word this morning. Perspective right? It's it's important. I mean, as believers, we need to always keep in mind that this is not our home. We're only temporarily here, and that we have a far greater place that we're going. Not that we lose sight of what's going on around us, but sometimes we need that reminder, right? It's kind of the, should be the reminder. Gather in the morning on Sunday mornings to worship God is the reminder. If nothing else for our week, this should be the reminder of that eternal hope that we have in Jesus, and that there's a better place that we're going. And so Paul starts this letter out here, and again, he has to announce his apostleship. That's always come into question with Paul and his authority. But again, he's placing the mantle more on Titus than on himself, because he knows he's not going to be there. Again, there's a lot there, but we're just going to run through a little bit quickly this morning. But he promised before the beginning of time. I always love that. It's a reminder that God knew before the beginning of time that he was going to have to send Titus there. He knew that. Guess what? Before the beginning of time, God knew that we would be here this morning. Kind of had a funny this week. I got a letter from the district office this week, and it was a form letter and from the secretary, and the form letter says, by the way, there's district conference coming up, and Charlie, because of your willingness to serve on the committee last year, you'll be serving on one this year at district conference. And they've put me on a committee already of credentials at the district conference coming up. And I laugh because... Obviously, no way Deborah, the secretary, had any idea that I would be in Minnesota at that conference. And certainly, I wasn't on a committee last year in Minnesota. I was back in New York on a committee at another district office in another district altogether. But again, it was a form letter. But unlike that, God knew. He knew that you would be here this morning. He knew that we would be looking at the letter written by Paul to Titus. He knew that those guys would be worshiping. He knew every single detail about us here this morning. So did you know you have a God-ordained appointment today right here? We're all together by God's plan, God's design, and he knew that already. And he's here with us this morning. That should get some excitement. If we were in the South, you could say amen. That's an amen moment, but we're not there, so that's okay. There we go. Somebody got one. All right, that's good. Uh, But his word, light to the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. Again, we always have to keep in mind that Scripture is from God. Yes, these letters are written to a specific church, to specific people, to specific ideas. But guess what? It transcends that. It goes beyond that. And that's where our living hope comes from. And again, God entrusted that word to Paul to apply for us today. And I really believe that. Knowing God's word is one thing. But putting God's word into practice is a whole nother thing. And that's really where, as we like to say, the rubber meets the road. And so keep that in mind as we work, work through this and look through this this morning. And again, Paul's preaching because it was entrusted to him. And then, normally, Paul's normal greeting grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. You kind of can almost gloss over that. But again, from a Jew's perspective, that was a, a blessing on this letter, blessing on those people. But don't miss the part that he mentions Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because in the Jewish mindset, that's a, that's, a, that's a hinge point, right? Remember, there's a whole division out there between the Jews and the Christians now. And yes, there are Jewish believers, and they, they understand that Jesus Christ is their Savior, but there's a whole another section of Jews that are still waiting, even to this day, are still waiting for the Messiah, and they're unsaved. And so that's an important point in there, and Paul makes that in almost all of his letters he mentions Jesus. Again, and that's, there's a reason for that. All right, so let's look at the reason here. I like this. Titus is being left in Crete. Paul's really good here. I like this. He's very straight and to the point and clear. He says, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, the household, husband of one wife, a man whose children believe, and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Now stop right there, because there's a lot in that, obviously, of the requirements. But what's the reason that um, Paul is leaving Titus there? To straighten out what was left unfinished. Right? Again, remember, these small churches, they had sprung up, and they were starting to come together, and they were starting to grow, which is a really great problem. Really, when churches are starting to grow, that's, that's a really great problem to have, but you need some structure, some leadership. You need, need some help with that. There needs, it can't just be kind of here, there, everywhere doing what you want because then there becomes problems within these, and, and you lose that cohesiveness and what's being taught and what's being done. Um, God is a God of order. He likes things in an orderly fashion, and that goes with his churches as well. Not to mention the fact that there needs to be protection. There needs to be people looking out. And as the numbers grow, you need more. And so that's why Paul leaves Titus there is, hey, you need to start putting some structure into place. And that starts with the leadership, elders, right? So that's the number one thing. He's got to straighten out. You got to lift unfinished. He said, you got to start appointing some elders, but not just any elders, Right? can't just pick anybody. It's not, hey, you this week, you that week. No, it doesn't work that way. You need to pick elders, but they need to have some qualifications, right? They need to be people that you can get behind and that God can entrust his people to them to watch over. And so that's part of the requirements. And, And you know what? They are strict requirements. It's not easy being an elder. There are things that, that you are required of you. Here's just a couple of them. And again, we're going to work through these because I think it's important because if any one of these areas can't be met, in many cases, it disqualifies you. There's not a lot of wiggle room. There, there, there needs to be some structure and there needs to be some consistency in the man that God puts in charge or in charge of the church. So it says he must be blameless. Like the older translation, they used to say above reproach. Kind of like that word in a way, but above reproach, but blameless is the same way. Can't be something that's openly going on consistently in their life. That's a sin issue. That, that, it disqualifies them. They need to deal with that first. They need to get their heart right. That blameless, and I, I like to think of that, that word of reproach is right if the line is here, then an elder needs to be under that line. You know, it's like you, you don't want to even get close to it. My dad used to tell my, my, my brother and we were used to joke about, hey, go play out on the yellow line in the, in the road. And mom would, would scream and yell, no, I don't want him even out at the edge of the road, right? And again, it's the same thing. If the line is here, you don't want to be anywhere near that line. It's better to be back away from that line. Well, that goes the same thing here. With the blameless and the issues of sin, we need to be away from that line. Not even a hint of it, not even close. It's better to just stay away from it. There's many examples of that, and, and we'll get down to a, a, one of them, kind of one of the more common ones in a minute, but just bear that in mind. Not perfect, because guess what? Your elders are not going to be perfect. There are none of them, including your pastor, very much so, is not perfect. But in the area of sin, I've got to be below that line. I've got to be as blameless as possible. You should not see something a sin reoccurring over and over in my life. It doesn't mean that I don't mess up once or twice. And there's not grace and forgiveness. But I need to work on that. I need to be able to be taught through that and corrected. But I've got to stay below that line. So that's part of the blameless. Husband of one wife. Boy, that's one that's struggled with many, many churches. Not a struggle here, but it is a struggle. Husband of one wife. Devoted to one wife. In fact, I gave the elders a sheet this week of uh, accountability questions. First question, what's your relationship with, with God? Second question, what's your relationship with your wife? right? Are you committed to taking care of your wife? Even before any of the church stuff, those are the questions and how that works down. How is your relationship with your wife? Because guess what? If your marriage is struggling, then I don't, you need to take a break from being an elder, and if it's really bad and it's going go on a long time, you probably need to step down. Clear and simple. You need to take care of your wife. As elders, that's a requirement. That's part of it. That's part of what we look at when you're trying to get an elder. When you're looking at elders for qualifications, housings with their wife. Again, we're not talking about perfect marriages. Our marriages are works in progress. Just like the men, the elders are a work in progress. Just like all of you should be a work in progress. I failed to mention that. That's actually the title of my message, a work in progress. So, um, But that's so true. And look what's next. Wife. And then what's next? A man whose children believe and not open to being charged of being wild and disobedient. Guess what my next question was for those elders? How are things with your kids? How's things with the family? Right? Again, doesn't mean that your kids are perfect. But are you raising them up to know God? Are you giving them the opportunity? Now, we can't make our kids, I've learned this, we cannot make our kids come to Christ. But we can give them all the opportunities, we can explain it, we can certainly, we better be sharing the gospel with them. But guess what? Each of us have to come by ourselves. And so, and again, as I have adult children, I see that more and more, their relationship with God is is up to them at this point. But we've given them the opportunity. And so that's what that means. And again, it doesn't mean that an elder's kids aren't going to misbehave once in a while. I don't care what kid. You sugar them up, they're going to misbehave. They're going to bounce off the wall. They're overtired. They're going to, they're going to get cranky. That's, that's normalcy. But how the father reacts to that and how he responds to that, is he present in that, is he helping raise his children, is vitally important as part of the qualification. So I know it sounds kind of heavy and that, but again, it's the importance. And guess what? As a church not too distant future, we got to come up with three more elders. When our bylaws read, your elders have been doing a good job. They've been running shorthanded for over a year now. We only have five. We should have six. And then we have two that are coming off. And so we actually need to replace three elders coming up. And you did it without a pastor. So kudos to the elders that you have here. They've been doing well. But guess what? There's a need for more. And so there's going to be a nominating committee coming up. We're going to be looking at qualifications and we're going to be electing some more elders, which is a really good thing to have because that's just on the tip of growth. You have to have the structure, then the growth is coming. It's not like the problem that's here in in Crete. All right, kids, wife, kids. Those are the next things important, right? Verse 7, pick it up from there. Those are kind of the negatives, and again, kind of the, the, the minimum requirements, if you want to call it that way. Blameless, not. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick tempered, not given into drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable and one who loves what is good, who is self controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message that's been taught so that he may encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Okay, yeah, that's a lot, right? And I like this word, overseer. Just so you know, overseer, elder, and bishop are all the same Greek word. It, 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 you can interchange them. But elder and overseer is the same way. And an overseer is just an, another part of being an elder, though, is kind of overseeing, looking over people. And again, our wives first, our children, and then we start looking over other folks in the church. You know, you, that's protection. It's also, you know, we all like to be known that we're, when we're missed, right? When we're not here or we're gone away, we like to be prayed for. We like to know that someone cares about us, right? That's part of the responsibility. Talked a little bit about shepherds and sheep, right? Talked very clearly about the shepherd needs to, to go after the stray, the lost, kind of keep them, keep them together. There's safety in being together. That's part of the job of the elders. And the more elders you have, the more people that you can shepherd and more people that you can watch over. And it's not meant for one person to do or, or even two. It's always in the plural. It's, it's multiple people. So that's part of being that overseeing, looking over, entrusted with God's work. And that God's work, believe me, it's about as wide as you can imagine. It can be helping with some physical needs. It can be checking someone's emotional temperature. Certainly it includes your spiritual. What's going on with you spiritually? What are, what's happening in your lives? What's going on? That's part of that looking over. How can I help? How can I come alongside you? How can I encourage you? That's all part of that looking over and seeing the need, and then bringing it either to the body or to the other elders or taking care of it themselves. That's part of that looking over. Again, we talked about being blameless. It's interesting that that's listed twice, right? That line, and we talked about that. And again, because that's important. Reputation of an elder is really important. Depending on the circles that you're in, depending where you are, that's important. Because people need to be able to come to you as an elder. If you're entrusting things to them. They need to be able to keep, you know, keep things uh Tight to the vest. Integrity is important. It's another word that I wanted to use there. Integrity. right? Entrusted. Not to go out and gossip or to slander. These are all with information that they know. They should be approachable. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But these are all the things that make up good elders and should be part of it. Not overbearing. Right? Not overbearing. One of the, the first things, in, in your elders, and again, I'm using it. It worked out really well, but we had an elders meeting on, on Monday night. One of the, the first things that, that I've kind of said, you know, how about we do away with this, was we did away with Robert's Rules of meetings for our elders meeting. There's only six of us. And guess what? Unless we're really out of hand, Robert's Rules doesn't work good in that small a setting. We, we all kind of like each other enough that we can kind of work through things. Right, Brent? Right, we're still friends? No, I'm going to I'm teasing, but no, I love Brent. Uh, the guys are really great. They were, they were gracious. Uh, they were good. Wise I want to owe you, say, owe you an apology. I'm sorry that the guy, I kept the guys out so late. Uh, it was a four-hour elders meeting, but it was mainly because of your pastor. Um, he had a lot of questions. He didn't have any answers, so he had to ask a lot of questions. They will not all be that long. But you know what? We didn't have one fight. one I don't even know that we even had a disagreement or a differences of opinion. We were able to work together. And again, I I haven't picked up yet, and I'm pretty sure none of them have to have their own way. They have passions, and they should. I I have passions. We all should have passions about certain things. But again, our passion for one area of ministry doesn't override the... I'm going to take someone else. And that overbearing as, as being controlling... And if I don't get my way, I'm going to take my bat and my ball and go home. That never should be. And so, we, like I said, we've already done away with Robert's rules. We're going to just sit together as men comfortably, and we're going to work through. In fact, I think we had some pizza, and and we were comfortably working through some of the things on the future. So, not being overbearing. You cannot be. That doesn't work well with an elder, especially not only in the meetings like we had, but also with the church family. Can't enforce our will onto somebody. Um, if we have to do that, then we're probably going in the wrong direction. Okay? Not overbearing, not quick-tempered. Um, just mentioned, uh, take my bat and my ball and go home. That's it, I didn't get my own way. But, but quick-tempered, um, that can't be a characteristic that happens on an ongoing basis. Again, that doesn't mean that if an elder one time hits his thumb and he blows it and he throws his hammer out into the street, that he's disqualified as being an elder. But that can't be something that is continual quick-tempered, because guess what? We are not at our best when we give in to our temper. In fact, that's usually when I mess up the most, is when I'm angry or upset by something, right? I don't speak the right words. I tend to, you know, fly off the handle. That can't be something that's regular. So it's tough. It's There's a lot to being an elder. Don't worry. There's a lot for being people of Christ and being part of that as well, and so... That's coming, just so you know. It's not all about the elders this morning, by any means. should help you to pray for your elders, though. So, that's important. So, not quick-tempered. Uh, not giving into drunkenness. Can I tell you, that's probably like the number one question I get, more than anything else, as a pastor. So, pastor, what is your feeling about drinking? Uh, why is that one? Like, it's still, it's still popular, even today. What is your feeling about drinking? Right? Should I have a, can I have a beer and, and not sin and and Certainly, Scripture, right, you can have a beer, you can have a glass of wine without sinning. But drunkenness, if you get drunk, then that's a sin. And here comes the problem with that. Where is that line? Do you realize that even our states, our law enforcement, they can't even determine that line? Some states are 0.6, 0.07, 0.9. They can't even determine exactly where that is. And again, they're just trying to figure out how far are you impaired to drive a vehicle. Today, we have more than just alcohol to worry about, right? We have drugs, we have prescription drugs, we have illegal drugs, we have all sorts of things that impair us and make us not at our best. Now, again, bear with me here, but your pastor has been drunk before, and guess what? I've never made good decisions when I'm drunk. I can say that with all clarity, with all knowledge. Never made good decisions. Not once can I think of a good decision that I made while I was drunk. So, As an elder, it's probably good not to get drunk. Actually, It disqualifies you. But again, if you can, it might even be better, that approach line, to just not drink at all as an elder. I'm not saying that's a requirement. You don't have to, but it's a fine line there. And so it's one that has to be kind of kept in check. Again, if that's not your struggle, then that's okay. I've chosen that for myself for a couple of different reasons. 2006, I kind of made that, that stake in the ground and said, you know what, I'm just not going to drink anymore at all. I can't say it was for a totally pure reason of all because I want to be an elder. That wasn't the motivation behind it at all. My motivation was because I was working with people that struggle with addiction and alcohol. And if I'm telling them they can't drink, yet I want to have a beer by the grill, and that's that, in many eyes, that seems like a hypocrite, right? And again, if you struggle with addiction, you can't have one. One is not an option for you if you really want to get past that addiction. So, on a personal level, I've made that commitment since 2006, and through God's grace and help, I've been able to keep that. But that's a personal decision. So, it's tough. Again, there's a lot to being an elder, there's a lot of things that we have to kind of restrict. Not violent, that one's pretty self explanatory. Not pursuing dishonest gain. That one gets kind of tricky in many elders in some circles. And again, I don't, I don't sense that here at all, but dishonest gain can be, be as simple as gambling. It can be as simple as working under the table. Um, you know, When we were in Hungary, it was very difficult to even do ministry in many regards because of the taxes and the laws and the way the structure of the government is over there. Pretty much when you added up all the taxes, it was somewhere around 60%. In fact, when you even wanted to have, we had a septic tank that we needed to have pumped out. And the question they ask you is, do you want a receipt or no? Because if you want a receipt, the price is going to be, say, 12,000 dollars. If you don't want a receipt, it's 8,000. And those are real, you know, it's some substantial difference. Because, again, they're not, it's a cat. if you can do cash versus running it through, you get a savings. And so even as a ministry that's struggling with finances, you can see where that could get blurry. But guess what? if I don't take the receipt, is that being dishonest? Yeah, another whole lesson in finances, but that's something, it's an area that kind of, even among Christians, we kind of, we kind of skate, Wow, well, you know, our government, and we come up with all sorts of reasons. Our taxes, we just come through, coming up on tax time, that's another area where are we honestly reporting what we give and don't give, and again, that's an area, can be an area of temptation. So, again, not easy being an elder, All right, now to the positives. It's always struggle going through the negatives, but the negatives are guidelines. And again, this is what you should and can expect for your elders, and that's why they need prayer. They need help. This is not an easy thing to be, to be an elder. Rather, he must be hospitable. There we go. Hospitality. I think uh, it was one of the verses. that was mentioned hospitality. Brent, you mentioned it, right? Hospitality to the saints, Right? Romans. I remembered that. That was good. I don't know. Did we coordinate that? No, that was a Holy Spirit thing. But but that's something that elders should have. And I I like going one step further. Not only hospitality, but being approachable. You should be able to go to any one of your elders and share what's on your heart and know that they care about you, they're going to be praying for you, and that they're going to actually, if they can, if it's at all possible, do something about it. So it extends that to not only just being hospitable where they're approachable and they're friendly, but they can actually try to help that situation or come alongside you again and walk with you. So that's got to be right. They've got to have that motivation behind them, being willing to have people in their lives. I won't say necessarily in their home, but it's not a bad practice. I've been to some of the elders' homes already, and it's been a wonderful experience and really enjoyed that. There's some really good cooks among this church body, I'm telling you. Not helping me on that regard, but that's a self-control issue, not, a, not, not your fault. <laughs> One who loves what is good. One who loves what is good, right? And seeks after those things. And again, that's a broad range, but he loves that. He takes joy in that. Sometimes that, that even means, it's not so much sometimes the, the good that we're, we're aspiring after, but when someone else gets something good or they get something that happens to them that's good. Rejoicing with them. Right, not envy and saying, "Well, how come I didn't get that?" Right? See the difference, right? Taking that away from, or that person doesn't really deserve that. Why did they get? Why did they get the brand new bass boat and all? I got's a kayak. Why, you know, struggle that you know your pastor has. No, but that going after that good, rejoice rejoicing with those that they do have good things. They get blessings, not being regretful or um, not begrudging that to them, right? Who is self-controlled? We mentioned that a little bit, and, and that's in, in, in all areas, right? Not self control Keeping things in order in their life. Keeping discipline. Not flying off the handle, not quick-tempered. It's kind of the opposite side of that. Being self control Something they can do, but because of the sake of others, they keep themselves in check. That drinking one is one of those areas that you control on that. Yes, I can, but for the sake of others, it's better to, to limit my, my control on that. Upright, holy, disciplined. again those are all good qualities, right? Would anyone not want to follow a leader that has those qualities or would want to to be like or to emulate a little bit or to be able to go to, right? That's the purpose of it. These are important men that have been placed in these churches. And that's what Titus has got to do. He's got to, A, make sure they're qualified, but B, get them recognized and get them appointed to these groups. And then guess what? I'm sure, I, I know this uh, pretty much without a shadow of a doubt, that Titus had meetings with his elders, and he, he would say, hey, here's what we need to do. Tell me your concerns, what's working for you, get together. I know we do that as pastors. I don't know if you know this or not, but I've already found a good pastors group that I get together with on uh, Tuesdays. And it's a good group, uh, guys that, that share the gospel, and they seem like good, good churches that they have. But again, they're around my age, And we were just talking the other day. A lot of it was conversation about the area, and they were helping me understand some of the dynamics. And there's a lot of good things that go on in this area. Guess what? I found this out. You guys were holding back on me. But there's some bad things that happen in this area as well. There's some darkness in this area. And we talked about it as pastors, and we actually prayed about it. But you know what the great thing is? When there's darkness around, it gives us a greater opportunity to be the light in those areas. And so that needs to be be part of the focus as well, is the good and the bad. And so the pastor's group was was helpful for me in that. And again, getting to know the community around us as we outreach. I think that's on the board up there. That's part of that, right? Reaching out. Okay, as we move forward here. All right, discipline. He must be hold firmly to the trustworthy message that he's been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine, and refute those who oppose it. Big problem today, right? They were taking their beliefs and trying to pull people away from the churches. Again, and again. hold firmly to the truth. We are blessed. We have the Bible. We have God's word. That's where we need to point people to. If you come to me, you really don't want Charlie Bolstridge's opinion, right? As your pastor, you don't want my opinion. Really, you should want what does God's word say about it? Right? First and foremost, that is the authority that we are under. It's God's word. What does God's word say about this? Because my opinion about something may or not may or may not be scriptural. But I do hold to this, God's word. And and hopefully I'm gonna point you to this. What does God's word say about that? Now there are some areas about it. Some some things that you could say, all right, well, this is just You know, good. I want to tell you to pray about it. Ask God about it. Again, because you know, you can find opinions about anything. I mean, which basketball team, which football team, uh, what to, you know, what, what we should do this afternoon, food. There's a hundred things that you can come up with opinions. But when it comes to sin matters and that, there's not. My opinion doesn't matter anymore. What does God's word say about that? You know, we talked about drunkenness this morning. That's one. What does God's word say about it? Not my my platform, but what does God's word say about drunkenness? That drunkenness is a sin. Just one example. All right, just a little bit more. Bear with me this morning, a little bit more. Again, the reason this is important, this hinge verse here, this last verse is a hinge because this is so important because there's a force that's working against the churches. Can I tell you it's, it's still going on today? There are people trying to tear down church and what it stands for, certainly from the world, but even sometimes among other believers. I know it's hard to believe, but it's so true. All right, so here, we'll look at this, this, this group here very briefly this morning. It says, for there are rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. Even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or the commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their consciences have been corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. Again, this is a total and unfit for doing anything good. Again, this is a total opposite of, of what your elders should be. And again, it's showing the problem that's there. Right? There's people that are coming in and trying to change the message. Remember how this letter started off, right? our faith in God and Jesus Christ. That the Jews were having a problem. The circumcision group, that's who he's referring to, did not believe Jesus was Messiah. And that creates a huge problem, obviously, for Christians. Right? Guess what? It's still going on today. There are churches that don't believe that the only way is through Jesus Christ. They don't believe that he died and resurrected. They don't believe that he's the Messiah. And so guess what? That takes away from the message. And again, Elders need to hold that up to, and we as a church need to hold that up to. Wait a minute. No, no, no. All roads don't leave to heaven. It only is through Jesus Christ. That's important. No, we celebrate the resurrection for a very good reason. That's where our hope is in eternal life. Jesus rose from the dead. He wasn't like any other man. He's not in the grave. He's, gone, he's in heaven with His Father. There's, there's so much that's within that coming up. And again, this is what the Jews were distorting. They were ruining, they were pulling away from the gospel. So Paul calls him out on that. In fact, uh, how would you like this reputation—liar, evil, brute, mix many lazy gluttons? Ouch, man! Paul doesn't mix many words there, right? I mean, that's that's not something you'd want in your portfolio of, hey, this is who I am. This is part of. But he's declaring that on the whole area. So I said, we get a glimpse in. This was a tough area to do ministry in. Again, these were the people that was outside the doors in the culture, but some of that was coming into the churches, and it was affecting the church. And so they needed leaders to start pushing back a little bit and say, no, this is not the way we, this is not what we believe, this is not how we do church, this is not acceptable. And so it's a contrast that's going on there. And then lastly, as we wrap this up, it it says about their actions, But they claim they know God, but their actions, they deny Him. Right? Reputation is important. Guess what? This goes beyond just your elders. This goes beyond our church body. How people view our reputation as Christians is very important. It is really very much important in in regards to our testimony. I can tell you that I love Jesus. I can tell you that I'm following God. But if my life doesn't look that way, who's going to listen to that? Really, why would you listen to that? right? Culturally right now, society, the young people are looking for that. They're not looking for the knowledge. They can get knowledge. You can get that on your screen faster than I could ever spew it out. You know what they're looking for? They're looking for authenticity. They're looking for men that will be men and women that will be women and that God's word is God's word and that's what we're standing on. And when we say we believe in Jesus, that's who we believe in. And we act accordingly. And so that's vitally important. As our church family. I can tell you this. One of the nice things about being in the pastor's group and I was in another couple of settings, Point Way does not have a bad reputation. So that's a good, that's a plus. But you know what? Reputations are only as good as our next activity, as, as we continue to grow, as we continue to go down this road, right? Think about it. There's many things that started out good and not ended well, and that kind of mars the whole thing. Point Way has a great reputation in the community. We need to keep that. We need to continue to grow that. We need to continue to foster that. So I've given you a lot. Chapter 1 was a lot. Next week it may be a little bit tighter. But I would ask you to pray for your elders. Be thinking about who the next elders are going to be. Because again, we're going to be nominating. That's coming up. That's not that far away. And then be mindful of our reputation, right? Maybe there was something that pricked you this morning. Maybe there's something saying, you know what? I wouldn't qualify for an elder even if I wanted to be. Again, I open this up. Again, we don't have women elders here, and and, and God's word is clear on that, and that's another whole topic. But guess what? Just put yourself under that. Would I be able to, despite my sex, would I be able to live up to these things? Could someone say, hey, that person, yeah, you do things. I'm not quick-tempered. I'm not giving the drug, you know, Go down through the list. Sometimes it's good to take a self-examination of yourself and say, would I qualify? And that may identify an area in your life you may need to start working on. Even go to maybe one of your elders and say, hey, can you help me with this? Because we have good elders here. Bow with me in prayer, please. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for uh, the instructions that you left, Lord, and the examples throughout the Bible and Lord, I do pray for our church family here, Lord, as we are going to be coming up on a time when we need to elect some more elders, Lord, and Lord, encourage the ones that we have, and Lord, just empower them, continue to encourage them, help them in their walks, help them in their relationships with their wives and their children, Lord, and their families. Just ask that you pour out a special blessing. Lord, to also be with us as we interact with those in our community, those in our family, those when we leave these doors here today. May we be a good testimony of you and the changed life that you've brought through through your death, burial, and resurrection. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.